It's kind of crazy how many different gun brands are out there. Whether you're looking for a new revolver, semi-auto pistol, rifle, shotgun, subgun, whatever your favorite ice cream is, there are way more than 31 flavors to choose from. But not all firearms are created equal. And so we're gonna run through a few brands that you should immediately cross off your shopping list. So before I get into this, you know, because there are so many manufacturers out there at all, they all target different price points. I had to put some restrictions on what I was going to discuss this episode. Unlike other podcasts out there, I aim to only blab for about 15 minutes at a time. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But if I were to literally describe every single firearm brand that I wouldn't recommend you buy, I'd be here for hours. So with that in mind, here's what this list is about. These brands are very popular and very often talked about, but you should never buy anything they're selling for some super important reason, ranging from subpar quality compared to the competitors to being straight up unsafe to own and use. Now, I'm not talking about like Saturday night specials and other kinds of you get what you pay for type products like Jimenez, SCCY, Jennings, Diamondback, Bursa, Carr, those little like Derringers that nobody in their right mind would actually enjoy shooting. Uh, high points are the exception to that, as you can't really knock how much fun you can have for that little amount of money. Uh, high points are ugly and clunky, but they work. So I'm not just going to start knocking a bunch of sub-$200 uh, gun models. You kind of know that you're compromising when you're in that category. I'm also not going to beef on stuff that exists in the same market of what I consider to be a better option. So I'd rather see someone buy a Glock than a Springfield XD but that doesn't earn Springfield a place on this list. I'm going to try and keep this list focused on just the stuff that is just bad, uh, even without considering what's better. You know, they're terrible all on their own. I'm going to try and ease you into this and start with probably the most universally agreed upon no-nos among people in the know, and then make my way into probably some more controversial naming and shaming. And so first up is a brand that I don't think I'll get too much flack advising you never to buy or even shoot. Like, it's not a safe bet to even hold one that a friend bought if there's any chance that it's loaded. Just too much of a gamble. That brand is Taurus. Uh, it's a large manufacturer based in Brazil. Taurus started with revolvers, but they really quickly moved on to offering a huge range of uh, not just revolvers, but semi-automatic pistols, subguns, pistol caliber carbines, and long rifles. Almost every single model of firearm that Taurus offers today has had its controversy, its scary YouTube videos, recalls, lawsuits. They are that bad. So, you know, why does Taurus even exist? Uh, frankly, it's because too often people shopping at gun stores just don't know any better. You know, they don't look this stuff up online and see what actual users and actual people in the industry have run into it. Taurus is able to put out a lot of guns for not a lot of money due to how cheap their labor costs are. And so theirs are usually the lowest cost options in any given category. And so if you if you don't know any better, it's hard to spring the 500 something dollars for a new Glock when there's a 200 something dollar Taurus right next to it that looks perfectly nice under the glass. They're not bad looking guns. Now if you go online and do some research about Taurus, you'll find a lot of people complaining about quality and reliability issues, but you'll find even more people defending Taurus because the guns they own have always worked fine for them. 
And yes, there are countless gun owners out there that own a Taurus gun and have never had a problem with it. Good for them. That's how numbers work. Any manufacturer that can continuously be in business for over 70 years is going to put out more working units than non-working units. That doesn't mean it's a good gamble, and it is a gamble. So, saying that your buddy's Taurus works for him isn't an excuse to go and buy a Taurus, any more than saying that you know a guy whose Glock had a problem is any excuse to boycott Glock. Taurus firearms are unreliable. They are unsafe. They will exhibit problems ranging from, you know, simple light strikes to slide lockups all the way to barrels breaking off completely. There are pistols and subguns that were delivered to Brazilian police and military units that fire without a finger on the trigger. And there's video evidence supporting that. It's unacceptable. And I don't understand why we as a country even allow importing of Taurus guns at this point. Doesn't make any sense. Next on the list is actually not one brand, but a few. So we've got Interordnance or IO Inc., uh, Century Arms, or they're called Century Arms International, Kalashnikov USA, not to be confused with Kalashnikov Concern, which is the Russian company, uh, and Riley Defense. These are all manufacturers of American AK patterned rifles, and overall, their products are straight up unsafe in how badly they're made. I should pause here and say I love AKs. I'm not knocking AKs. Uh, my first rifle was a Bulgarian AK that was imported and finished by Arsenal Inc. Uh, just a few years ago. Uh, they're based in Las Vegas. They're responsible for some of the sweetest AKs available before you go into that custom top dollar territory. And even though I love AKs, there's a mythology surrounding them in the American gun community that could do with being returned to reality. A lot of buyers are drawn to AK-patterned rifles because they believe that an AK is inherently more rugged and reliable than like any other gun design out there. And really, that isn't true, and it never has been. While the AK design is very simple, and simplicity in engineering lends itself to reliability, there is nothing about an AK that makes it, a, that makes it automatically more trustworthy than any other modern piston-driven rifle, or even a well-made AR. That godlike status that has been bestowed on AK rifles is a piece of what I call FUD lore. And I'm going to have to do an episode on FUD lore at some point, but the short version of it in this case is that a generation of gun owners came up with a concept, in this case a belief that AKs are invincible, and have insisted on passing that concept down to future generations as dogma. And the thing about AKs is that when they're stamped, assembled, and quality controlled by someone who really knows what they're doing, they can be some of the most robust rifles in the world. When manufacturers cut corners on any of that stuff, they can be unreliable to the point of being legitimately unsafe to the end user. The tooling and the parts that go into an AK isn't stuff that when it's not screwed on right, it becomes unscrewed. When an AK fails, it can be catastrophic. Nowadays, well-made foreign AKs are kind of uncommon in the U.S., due to a bunch of the top models being banned from import with the sanctions that were placed on Russia after they invaded Ukraine in 2014. But before that, our import laws still made it a pain for small shops to import and stock foreign rifles, so most of them didn't bother. But people still wanted an AK, a lot of them just due to the FUD lore that we discussed, so American manufacturers popped up to meet the demand, as they do. And that brings us to the brands that I listed. 
There are a lot of U.S. shops making AKs, but the big names that I see are IO Inc., Century Arms International, Kalashnikov USA, Riley Defense. All of these brands offer a lot of different rifles with different designs and different furniture arrangements to appeal to different buyers. They've got a lot of in-shop appeal. The problem is that it costs more to manufacture a firearm, any firearm, in the U.S. than it does to do so in, say, Russia, Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia, or Poland, which happen to all be countries known for exporting decent quality AKs for sale in the U.S. If you're an American manufacturer and need to compete with an Eastern European company that's paying way less for their materials, way less for their tooling, way less for their labor, you're going to need to cut corners to get your product out the door at a competitive price point. And in the case of AKs, that's where things really go wrong. These cheap American AKs cut corners by casting trunnions and bolt parts instead of forging them. Uh, they do some sloppy riveting. They rush through important QC details like bold faces and head spacing. And these aren't minor details or cosmetic imperfections. These aren't just like a fit and finish issue. These guns can fail to fire. They can become completely inoperable. Uh, there have been cases where they basically blow up in the shooter's face. They're unsafe. You know, you, you bought an AK, not a hand grenade. I should point out that Sentry Arms also imports rifles, um, along with making their own. And so the Romanian Wasser and M&M imports are actually very solid nowadays. It's their American-made products, like the C-39s and the Red Army Standard or RAS-47 line of products, that are the problem. So, if you're dying to get an AK, and I don't blame you, Start by looking at the Wasser 10. Uh, they're not as cheap as they used to be. They're going to cost more than a comparable like IO or, or Century US gun. But they're readily available. Uh, they're really solid for the money. If you want something nicer than that, you got to kind of be prepared to pay for it. AK prices have gone up just due to limited supply and other market forces. And mid-tier AKs are now consistently over a grand. But, you know, they are fun at any price point. I, I miss mine. So now we've got the easiest targets out of the way, and I'm ready to dip my toes into the brands that are going to have way more vocal defenders out there. I'm not blaming the defenders. They spend real money on something, and they want to believe that they spent that money right because we all work hard for our money, and none of us want to be a sucker. But I'm not your mama. I'm not going to coddle you, and the next brand on the list is Kimber. There. I kind of snuck it up on you so it wouldn't sting much. Before I start digging into them, I have to admit that I really like uh, Kimber's origin story. So Kimber was founded by an Australian father and son that moved to Oregon after selling their successful rifle company back in Australia. So they were making 22 rifles in Australia. They started Kimber uh, making 22 rifles here in the U.S., and they built a reputation for putting out a really quality product in that category. They ended up having some financial trouble and ended up kind of restructuring the company, liquidating assets. They eventually found themselves with an investor that got them started making 1911 pistols. So this was in the, I think, the mid-90s. mid, mid 90s. And at the time, most 1911s on the market were either the like bare-bones GI style that wasn't really appealing to first-time buyers, or those really tricked-out, custom-looking models that were loaded up with options that were kind of pricey. Kimber's new team decided to do something new, so they invested in metal injection molding, or MIM, and computer-aided manufacturing, or CAM, to lower their costs while pumping out a ton of different configurations for their pistol models. For the first time, shoppers could get custom features on a production off-the-shelf 1911. 
and they weren't paying top dollar for it, which is pretty cool. Uh, the recurring theme so far with this list is that cutting costs leads to a real lottery of whether the firearm you're holding is going to hold up well or be a total lemon. Um, over the years, Kimber's steel parts have rusted due to poor finishing or no finishing at all. Their cast or injection molded parts have broken, often at really low round counts. Kimbers are both so popular and so unreliable at the same time, they've single-handedly contributed to the myth that 1911s are inherently unreliable. Which isn't true. A well-made 1911 can run for thousands of rounds without being cleaned or maintained, and can have zero malfunctions in that time. The design is old and complicated, but there's no part of it that's inherently prone to issues. But that's for a well-made 1911, and Kimber 1911s have historically not been that. But there are plenty of decent 1911 manufacturers out there and at different price points. Rock Island Armory can get your foot in the door with their lower-priced import models. Uh, Springfield and Colt have the mid-range covered pretty well. And if you're looking to spend a little more and get a real like heirloom-quality piece, there are a ton of shops like Les Bear, Wilson Combat, Nighthawk Custom, and some others I can't think of right now. Just don't get a Kimber. There's no reason that you should have to roll those dice when there are better options available. Okay, last brand before I sign off, because this episode is running long. To be honest, I'm kind of hesitant about this one, because I know I'm going to get so much grief for it. Um, Sig Sauer used to be a world-class firearms manufacturer. Their West German P-Series pistols were second to none when it came to a combat-grade duty pistol. Their, you know, the fit finish, and overall build quality of these pistols was just top-notch. SIG pistols and other firearms were always a bit pricier than the competition, but people didn't mind paying a bit more for something better. And so the reputation that the SIG Sauer name earned hasn't really diminished over time, which is why they're still selling now as well as ever. They're one of the biggest brand names in the country. The problem with that is that today's productions from SIG are too often not worthy of that SIG Sauer reputation. Their build quality is frequently not up to par, especially at their price point. And recent models have run into too many major problems with SIG Sauer as a company not handling those problems very elegantly. But let's set aside the problems for a moment and pretend that everything's great. You know, you buy a SIG pistol or rifle, you picked up a couple of spare magazines or some first party accessories. And you're having a good old time with it at the range. Uh, no malfunctions, no quality control issues, nothing. Then, uh, you know, let's say a couple of years down the road, you wear out a spring or a bolt or something and need to get a spare part from SIG, only to find out that they've discontinued the product line you bought into and don't have replacement parts available anymore. This isn't some fairy tale I'm making up. This is what has happened in recent years to owners of, let's, you know, the SIG 550s, uh, 556s. The P232s, P239s, P224s, and one of the worst 22 caliber firearms I've ever encountered, the Sig Mosquito. That thing is awful. Um, all of these in the catalog one year and gone next. Sig Sauer goes through such a large number of models year after year that they've stopped listing their discontinued bottles. They used to have pages on their websites for their old pistols and rifles. Uh, but it's become too much work to keep adding models to the discontinued list since it's happening every single year. Does this all sound a little familiar? 
a company with a reputable name churning out lower quality firearms in a huge array of different configurations. Kind of reminds me of Kimber, which is a funny coincidence then that Ron Cohen, who was previously one of the top dogs at Kimber, has been CEO of Sig Sauer Inc. since 2004. Although I'm actually not sure if he's still CEO, since he might be facing jail time in Germany for plotting to sell pistols to Colombia in violation of German export law. And that's just the latest scandal that hit the company. The more famous one that Sig hit the news for, the more famous one that Sig hit the kind of firearms news for was its god awful handling of a major drop safety issue. Now, for those of you not super familiar with modern pistol designs, they're all supposed to be drop safe. While you shouldn't be in the habit of dropping your guns regularly, it can happen. And a modern pistol in good working order should absolutely not go off after a drop under any circumstances. Well, SIG's new modular pistol platform, the P320, was found to not be completely drop safe. It all started in summer 2017 when Dallas PD pulled their new P320s off the field after a couple of drop discharge incidents. Some folks online started conducting tests and confirmed that, it, yep, when the back of the slide hits the ground at a certain angle, there is a very decent chance of an unintended discharge. Now, Sig Sauer could have owned up to the design flaw and issued a recall, but they didn't. Instead, they offered what they called a voluntary upgrade program, where they swap your pistol's trigger and slide assemblies out for what they describe on their website even today as an improved trigger pull experience and refined functionality. These are very vague terms that don't very well address the fact that their pistol design was fundamentally unsafe for real-world use. And it's interesting that they took as long as they did to roll out the program, considering they had just won a U.S. Army contract for a version of the P320 that already had those upgrades in place, which kind of suggests that Sig Sauer knew about the drop safety issue and decided to roll out the flawed design of the civilian market anyway. So, thanks, Sig. That's the list. Uh, I don't want to leave you with kind of a negative note there. So just a couple quick things on how to buy a gun won't let you down. That won't make it onto this list the next time I do it. I don't know. When doing your research, shopping for guns, and definitely do your research first. Don't just walk into the gun store without a clue. Uh, look for actual usage among military, police, and possibly the most important, uh, firearm instructors. Because they use their guns more than anybody else, and they need them to work. You know, don't just run off of accolades from magazines and internet forum gun owners, because the magazines are all pretty much advertisements nowadays. It's all kind of fake news. Um, and people on forums, like we discussed, are going to defend what they invested their money into, regardless of the actual results of that investment. Look into actual usage, and try, if you can, to avoid being a beta tester. If a new platform comes out or a new manufacturer hits the scene, wait a little while. See what happens to the first generation of those firearms, you know, the first batches to come out, see what people are saying online, see what problems they run into, and see how the company handles them. In my case, I'm kind of slow to adopt new stuff. Uh, not just in firearms, but just in general. I was kind of slow on, uh, on the smartphones. I don't upgrade my computers as, as often as I should. I still like buttons on the dashboard of my cars. So I usually wait as much as a couple of years to see if the kinks come up and get ironed out. But part of that, in the case of firearms, that might just be that new stuff doesn't really excite me that much. I'm still using Gen 3 and Gen 4 Glocks 
as my primary pistols because they're still running just fine. There's nothing about the Gen 5s that really excites me. Um, the 19X comes in a pretty cool color, but as it happens, color is not the first thing I look for in a firearm. That's all I've got for you this time. I'll be back next week. If you have a second at any point between now and then, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave Range Talk a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Range Talk Show. I'm also on MySpace, so if you're still on there, hit me up, and we'll talk about how much Breaking Benjamin totally rocks. If not, stay safe, and we'll talk again soon.